Welcome back to the Footy Feast Podcast, Episode 8. We've got a lot of content to get through, guys, but how are we going this week, fellas? We are going good. Um, we are trolling through the news, and there's a bit going on today, so um, it should be a really good podcast. I've had a really big week this week, but because of the dedication of the podcast, still here, can't wait. Lots of good news, lots of good topics. Let's go. How did your uh, disc golf go last week, Rick? Didn't end up playing last week. Oh, even with some new discs. No, we're going out Saturday morning. Let's go. All right, yeah. lock, lock it in. All right, there's some breaking news about Eddie Betts. What do you got for us, Rick? So I'm not fully up to date with it, but um, Eddie Betts has dropped his book where he's done a little bit of a tell-all about the Adelaide Crows camp. That was a disaster. And um, I had a visit from my brother-in-law today, so shout out to Sam Blake. And um, he just said that he's been listening to the radio a little bit and um, some information's come out about some of the stuff that happened to Eddie Betts. So apparently he was held down by Crows players. Um, he had confidential meetings with a counsellor where the conversations weren't so confidential and they used it as an opportunity to berate him. Um, but yeah, that's all I've heard at the moment. We will get more familiar and we'll address this next week. I think I'm more shocked by the fact that I thought this was dead and buried and now I think this is going to blow up bigger than it has before and it was already a huge story but now with this coming out and apparently the AFLPA is going to go to all the players from the club and get new statements um, who's going to be less tight-lipped now about what happened is everyone just going to put all the cards on the table now or is it just going to be Eddie Betts on his own like what is going to come out of this is what I'm interested in. So just a little bit more of a rumour I heard with the exodus of players. So, for example, you Hugh Greenwoods, you Josh Jenkins, you Brad Crouch that were involved in it. Apparently, there's a little bit more on the fact of they tried to stand up to some officials at the Crows and maybe that's a little bit of the reason why they were all shipped out. Jeez, this I think goes a lot deeper than just the Eddie Betts book. But like we said, we'll, uh, we'll get some more info and we'll uh, talk about it next week. Well, just one more thing. What's bigger, the Crows scandal or the Essendon scandal? Oh, at the moment, Essendon. But I don't know if they fell or sanctioned the Crows because they've already done that. But, I mean, for the club, this could be massive. Agreed. Could be huge. All right, so I don't know about you guys this week, but watching the footy, to me, the umpires this week were terrible. I don't know what you guys thought of it, but... Uh, just really, really inconsistent. I know, was it you, Craig, that sent us a group message saying you've turned off the TV because you couldn't watch one of the games? Was that Friday night? It, it was Friday night. I was watching Fremantle versus Melbourne, and I thought the umpiring, even though it was in Perth, was heavily weighted to Melbourne, and this high tackle free kick is the worst rule interpretation I reckon I've ever seen. Worse than deliberate, worse than deliberate rush behind, deliberate out of bounds. Players are getting their heads ripped off every week, but the umpires have no idea when is the right time to pay it or not. And unfortunately, with a rule change just on the spot, it's hard for them, so I don't blame them. But that is the cause of just what is just horrible umpiring interpretation in my eyes. And I didn't watch the second half of that game. 
and I missed a couple of other games because I was just had enough, which is rare for me. Yeah, right. Rick, what are your thoughts? Um, I worked all weekend this weekend, so I only got to watch bits of games. From what I've seen, it wasn't too bad, but I do remember seeing Craig's message. And um, I, I just think overall the umpiring's been poor, regardless of just this round. Uh, I agree. I mean, there's some ways to simplify some of the rules. I mean, we can kill the deliberate out-of-bounds rule straight away by saying kick or handball out-of-bounds is a free for the opposition. Yeah, like the like the sandful. Like the sandful. It I mean, works for them. It's successful. I, we've been to a couple of sandful games, and I think I think it's great. Yeah, you don't hear any fan involvement because they know exactly what's happened. Like They're like, yep. And the players know. They grab the ball and get off the mark. It speeds up the game. I think that's just a simple one that'll kill any gray area off. It, it just takes out that open to interpretation from the umpires as well. It's just clear cut. Come off the boot. It's that, person's, it's that team's free kick. Yeah, I think the umpires need a break and we need to help them. And if we can help them by doing something subtle like that, then let's just do it and move forward. And I know like we're saying the umpiring is inconsistent, but also it, it's got to be a hard year to be an umpire just because of the rule changes. Like, it looks like that some umpires are just blatantly confused. And they're scared to pay free kicks. I exactly, think. yeah. In the crowd, like we go to every game every week and you sit in the crowd and who do we have on the weekend? It was... Crows and Carlton. Crows and Carlton. And the Crows fans were absolutely livid early on with some of the umpiring. And I tended to agree on some of the holding the balls that were not paid to the Crows, but were paid to Carlton. Um, the umpiring switched around in the second half, but there were at least three or four obvious holding the ball calls to the Crows that were not paid. And I couldn't believe it. I thought they were as plain as, as, plain as day. Um, and that also frustrated me being there live watching it. There was also a couple of, uh, just talking about the Crows and Carlton game, there's also a couple of calls where they called holding the ball and it blatantly wasn't holding the ball. Like, I think it was Miller who just picked the ball up, got tackled within half a second, or not even half a second, split second, and they caught him holding the ball. Like It was just so inconsistent. Rick, anything to add to that? Um, I reckon the big problem with the holding the ball rule isn't the, the timing. I think it's more around the actual legal disposal of the ball. Half the time, players just get tackled and they're not hand-passing it or kicking it. That's holding the ball. That's the rule. The rule is it's about timing and it's about you have to legally dispose of the ball. 90% of the time, tackles are just happening. Players just drop the ball. That's not an effective disposal. You should be pinged. Well, that is a way to make it pretty clear cut if you don't kick or handball for it it's holding the ball drop it any length of tackle like no matter short tackle long tackle if you don't kick or handball it away holding the ball correct and yeah. then it's just about timing so any if you perform any action if you attempt to spin if you attempt to fend if you do any action that's not your first priority to hand pass or kick the ball it's holding the ball and if you don't affect effectively dispose of the ball that's holding the ball that's, it's, it's a simple rule if you take it back to the literal rulings of what it was invented for of. You've got, it has to be your first opportunity to get rid of the ball, and then you have to effectively get rid of the ball. Yeah, so no like breaking three or four tackles and then getting it out right at the end. If you don't get it on the first one, that's it, done. Oh, that's it. That's going to be, it would take getting used to, but it needs to be more black and white, I think. There's too much grey area in it. The only problem with a big change, because holding the ball's big because there's so many tackles a game, is it going to make the game faster or is it going to make the game slower? Well, especially in like high-pressure games where there's a lot of ball-ups, a lot of tackles, a lot of crowding around the ball, there's always going to be 
inefficient uh, disposals in there. And if you're going to be calling free kicks every single time that happens, it's just going to, the game's not going to flow. That's the only other issue. I agree. There is the potential that it will slow down the ball. But these days in football, your attacking back flankers and your wingers are super aggressive. And half the time they hand pass the ball from the ground before they even get up. So, like, as long as players are giving the ball back to their teammates quickly, there is the opportunity that there's going to be a runner ready next to them. So, potentially, there may be more holding the balls, but that player doesn't have to get back up, go back, and then kick the ball forward. He can just get my free, grab the ball off the ground, hand pass it off. Yeah, well, I mean, if players know, then it takes a lot of the umpiring out of it. If you know you get tackled, dropped at first go, then the other player picks it up and they're away. Like, if the rule's very black and white, then players can adapt and make the game quicker. Like, we don't have to stop every five seconds for holding the ball. They just know umpire blows a whistle and they're away. So it would take a transitional period, but it is possible to make things go quicker. Like, players will adapt. All right, this is going to lead us into our next next segment. But first of all, just on the same topic as the umpires, uh, apparently on Friday night's game, there was a plastic bottle or a cup thrown um, at one of the umpires. Now, I'm all for banter and passion at the game, but w- at what point does it come become unsportsmanlike and just crossing the line. Well, I know Rick's an umpire spitter from way back. He'd always stand there and spit at the umpire. No, that's a lie. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they had to put up shields to let the umpires go off so people wouldn't spit on them. I mean, that was one of the first things that the umpires were exposed to and they did to prevent that. And, I mean, that's drawing a line in itself. Throwing a, a drink on the field is... I mean, that's just basic human knowledge. Like, the most basic person shouldn't even do that. They should just know that's not okay. And then the thing that really got me, and I heard this pretty early on, was a racial comment made towards Adam Saad. Now, if anyone's seen Adam Saad in the media or knows anything about him, he's just the nicest bloke. He, like, wouldn't have heard a fly. He is an outstanding citizen. I mean, I've probably done worse things than him, and, and no one deserves that, whether you're on the footy field or in real life. So... What you can do to stop that, I don't know. But, yeah, there's a line that people are crossing too regularly still. Yeah, there's a, there's a complete difference between passion and supporting your team and then crossing that line. Like th- Throwing a, a cup or a plastic bottle at the umpire, it might not seem like a lot, but what, it doesn't achieve anything and it just makes a bad name for spectators for that club as well. It's simple. If you're in the stand, the stand and grass are separated for a reason. The grass is sacred. Nothing from the stand goes into the grass. Simple. You can like, and just like Craig said, with what they've said to Adam Saad, they've specifically been racist and targeted him as an individual. That's not okay. The banter, if you buy a ticket, you're allowed to heckle players. Mm. You're allowed to say things, but you can't say, yeah, you can't just be racist. That's just human standards. I know, but like, how are you supposed to stop it from happening though? Like eventually, is there going to be just like a massive shield around the ground like they have in ice hockey or something to just stop any fans engaging with the players? Because, I mean, they need to protect them and if people can't control themselves, there will be measures that come into place to stop that from happening. I think there just needs to be stricter bans on memberships. Like if you're found, like whoever this, I mean, as a crow supporter, if this lady, or apparently it was a female that yelled out to mm-hmm. Saad, but if they find out who it was specifically, she her membership should just get, just put in the bin, like she for life. Just, yeah, for life. Like that's just unacceptable, especially yeah. like today's today's society. Like it's just you, you can't say things like that. And why would you want to say something like that? He- like you said, go to the game, heckle him. You don't have to be racist. Yeah, Chewy on the boots a good one. Rick always yeah. likes to use <laughs> Chewy on the boot. He says, "Oh, you're gonna miss." 
Chewy on the boot. He sounds like an old lady, but it's, it's still a good taunt and it doesn't really offend anyone too much. It's all a bit of fun. But yeah, I think if they if they start coming down with the hammer on punishments for acts like this and they just say, well, too bad, so sad, your membership's banned for life, then people might think twice. I don't know. Could be a, just a start measure. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're always going to have numbers in the crowd. doesn't matter what you do, is it? Even if you put a shield up around the ground, which is obviously... Oh, I mean, next, that's next extreme, level extreme. That's extreme case. But like, even if you did that, there's always going to be some numpty that's going to try something else, isn't there? Yeah, of course. There'll be someone that'll throw something or they'll ride on the shield or whatever will be the case. People are creative and I love that, but people also are a bit basic sometimes in that regard. The only other thing is if you were sitting near that lady, you should be embarrassed that number one, you didn't speak up and number two, if you were there, just give up her seat and report her. Like as human society, we should... These players are there for our entertainment and you can be a passionate supporter, but it's okay to snitch in a situation like this. Like that lady deserves a ban. And she did get snitched on. That's why it's in the media because the Carlton cheer squad, like we heard this from her. She was sitting right near us. Um, Yeah, but but I mean like if you were sitting next to her, number one, you tell her to shut up. And number two, if she tries it again, you report her. Like like if she sat next to me every week, I wouldn't want to sit near this lady. Yeah. That wouldn't be much fun. You're right. Yeah. It would just, it would create a pretty somber atmosphere around you. Yeah. It's a little bit off topic, but we'll keep it in the same thing. The mental health of players is also really massive. So I'm not sure how that has affected Adam Sardi. He's probably heard a lot of it before. So, but it still would affect him mentally. And we've just heard, obviously, we're not going to talk about too much current news. We like to talk about our own, but Jack Ginevan's, um, talking about his mental health space after all his crowd and everyone going off at him for ducking into tackles. Charlie Dixon came out during the week as well. Yeah. That was, said- that was a, I don't know if you guys read that, but that was pretty touching when I read it. Yeah. There's been yeah. some real eye-opening stuff from the players just saying, this is what it's been like to play football. And you thought you were just being a passionate supporter, but somewhere on the line, we've all probably crossed it or said something that we're like, yep. And they're the ones that have to deal with it. So this is just another reminder of we need to look after each other, especially in that regard. All right, so now on to a similar vein topic. So how do you guys feel about when Melbourne played Fremantle? Um, One of the fans had a number six Fremantle jersey that said Jackson on it, and um, they waved it in the Melbourne player's face. Uh, That I am not overly unhappy with, honestly. That is a sticks and stones kind of moment. Um, Luke Jackson knows what's going on. Melbourne players would probably hear that every week, physically seeing it. I thought, honestly, I think it was worse by the players than than by the fan who did that. Fans are prone to doing things. That's not going to, it'll hurt anyone. It might. Yeah. I don't, I don't see that being different than people holding up those signs that are written in the crowd that say different random things about players and cheering and stuff. I, I didn't see it as... As harmful. Yeah, I agree. This is an example of yeah. something that fans can do. Yeah, exactly. The Adam Saad comment is an example of things fans can't do. Yeah, no one attacked anyone. No one said anything. Um, unlike they didn't offend anyone. They just took a bit of current news and rumors out there and they just had a bit of fun with it. So that that is a good taste thing. I don't mind that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're coming into closer finals territories. Whoa, what about the Tasmanian Timbers? Did you overlook Ooh, them? We Whoa. did. 
We did because we went straight to the breaking news. All right, they, let's... Were, they were first on the run sheet. What a stitch up. Yeah, hold on. Let's go backwards. All right, we'll go back to the Tasmanian Timbers. Craig, who you got for us this week for the Tassie Timbers? And how close are we to this team being filled? Yeah, we're going to nut out this week and next week, and then we'll have our whole team done in the last round, ready to go. Um, so this week we are adding Blake Hardwick from Hawthorne. Um, half backman, hard as nails. You need someone to do a lockdown role. Not exactly the prettiest footballer, but he gets the job done. Um, he comes out of contract in 2024, so he might sign a one-year deal and then you try and poach him down to Tasmania. Fortunately, not everyone comes out of contract in 2025. That is any decent. Um, we move on to Melbourne and Charlie Spargo. We talked about him. I reckon Jake talked about him. Yeah, he was in the rebuild segment. He was in the rebuild segment. He's a young half-forward. He could probably play some midfield. I have him in the half-forward on the, Haw- the Hawthorne team, the Tasmanian team. Um, comes out of contract 2025. He's a cheap player to pick up. He's got a lot of potential. Now, we move to a name that at the start of the year, you would have been very happy to have in the Tasmanian team. Now, his name is kind of mud, especially in fantasy circles. Taron Thomas is a North Melbourne player and a Tasmanian native. Um, high draft pick, loads of potential. He should be one of the first players they look to sign up, um, but would need a bounce back couple of years. Uh, I'll just get your thoughts on uh, Taron Thomas, boys. Is there anything? Well, I mean, we liked him start. I do have a little bit on, or oh, not much on Taron Thomas, but he played in the VFL this week and got 27 disposals, six tackles, three marks, and six clearances for 102 fantasy points. Well, that's more to what we were expecting from him this year. He's had a bit of a rough run. But yeah, can he bring that across to the AFL? Who knows? But I don't know if he's starting to get numbers like that in the Sandfall. Ah, oh, sorry, the VFL. Then I don't know. Could be good signs. I think as a Tasmanian native, um, they need as many Tasmanians as they can get. Now we're coming to Port Adelaide, and this name might shock a few people, mainly Rick, because Rick loves this bloke a little too much. Any guesses, Peter? Loves him too much. He's obviously talking about King Zach Butters. Zach oh, Butters. Zach Butters comes out of contract in 2025 at the end, which is perfect timing for Tasmania to get a future captain and midfield leader at their club. He'll be cherry right by then, Zach Butters. We've seen the signs. He would be a huge get, and I think you need players of his calibre in there. Yeah, I think that'd be a good get. He's definitely uh, shown some glimpses of magic, so I think he'll be good. Yeah, especially by 2025, he'll be roaring. I think they're going to have the salary cap and a big money offer could get it done. Now, Peter, this name, this is the last one we'll do for this week. Um, That'll leave us, this is for Richmond. It'll leave us St Kilda, Sydney, West Coast and Western Bulldogs after, but Tasmania need a starting Ruckman. Richmond have a native Tasmanian um, who is a Ruckman. His name is Toby Nankervis. Now, he's bounced around a little bit. How old is he now? I always, sorry, I, as I said that, I always think he is much older than he actually is, isn't it? He's actually probably like mid-20s, isn't he? I think he's about 26, yeah, maybe he, 27. He just he, looks like an older older man, doesn't he? He's also the captain of Richmond now. 
Here's the captain of Richmond, um, but Richmond will be on the decline, and he's a Tasmanian native, so this is why his name is mentioned, because there weren't a lot of Ruckman out there that were really good for Tasmania to start off. And what, 2025, another three years, he'll be getting close to 30, so probably looking at, you know, winding down a little bit. That's correct. If he wants to go home, he's Tasmanian. He's a big personality, and I think even if you get two or three years, you need a solid ruckman, especially with a new team. You don't want to come in with a kid and just get mauled every week. Yeah, it, gives, it brings in some little bit of experience as well. I think that's a good spot to have him. So, yeah, Rick? Just while we're talking about this, so the going home factor is obviously big for Melbourne-born players, but how big do you think it's actually going to be for these Tasmanian-born players? Do you think they're going to want to go back to Tasmania? Well, it depends if their network's still in Tassie. Like, if they're born in Tassie, but all their family's not living there still, well, then clearly no. But I think I think it's a massive a massive get. I think they're, and I mean, what all you need to look at is the Tasmanian bid, and that is that Nick Rewell, Jack Rewell, Alistair Clarkson, anyone who's got a little bit of Tasmania in them has been behind getting a Tasmanian team. I think it means the world to anyone who is Tasmanian. And I think that it, the go-home factor, I think the pride of playing for Tasmania, because they've fought so hard to get a team, will be huge. I mean, even in Adelaide teams now and West Coast, players still want to go home. That have, Those teams have been there forever. But there's something about this Tasmanian team, and you would have seen it with the Jack Jumpers and everyone got behind them, even if you weren't from Tasmania. Um, there's a bit of a, a love story to this, and I think the players will want to go home if they can have a chance to represent, especially some of them at the end of the career. Why not go home and play for your state team, your team you grew up with at the end of your career? I think it's a great pull. I'd do it. Yeah, especially if your team, uh, sorry, if like Tazzy, like you said, have fought hard and really want a team, if they finally get one, then I think some of the players now that are Tazzy born and bred, they're going to want to go back and, and play for that state because their state's fought so hard to get that team. Yeah, I think it just means, I think the blood, sweat and tears going into it and the pride, like this is a massive deal. So if this actually goes ahead um, and the Timbers get off the ground, then I think there'll be a few Tasmanians that would be more than happy to come home. Um, yeah, I just think it's a it's going to be a great thing for football. And that's uh, Tasmania for this week. We'll do uh, the next teams and then we'll have our uh, big reveal of the whole team in the last week of the season. Perfect timing. All right, some more breaking news just quickly. Apparently, Mark McGowan has reported that Dunkley's preferred club, if he was to get traded to South Australia, is Port Adelaide. What do we think, Rick? That's simple. You don't come out and have a preferred club for a stay if you're not serious about moving there. So we can state here, Josh Dunkley is going to be at Port Adelaide next year if Port Adelaide and Western Bulldogs can come to a trade. What? I would like to know from you, Rick, does Josh Dunkley fit where Port Adelaide is at right now and where they are going? Are they premiership contenders in 2023 again or are we full rebuilding or are we rejigging or whatever the crap terms that Ross Lyon likes to use that's not a rebuild? What what is Port aiming to do? Are we going down the table? Are we going up the table? Are we getting rid of our older players like I? Now that Port season's actually done, which, again, thank God for recognising that, Ken Hinkley can't now keep saying 
well, we're still mathematically a chance. You're just not going to make <laughs> it's it. It's a Ken. small little stub there at Port Adelaide. Oh, in that question. fucking <laughs> Ken Hinckley. Anyway, Craig, there is a chance Port can make finals. Well, I don't think it will happen, but apparently, no one's talking like that. They're done. So, what is Port going to do? What? Tell me a couple of things that Port should do, would do. What? What is happening? Well, number one, Ken Hinckley's got to go. That's the first thing. Like I said on the podcast last week, the problem isn't his win-loss record. The problem is he hasn't changed a game plan for five years. It hasn't been successful. Charlie Dixon's going to get old and long bombs to him four on one with no Mosquito Fleet doesn't work. Ken Hinckley's got to go, number one. Okay, wait. What does that, does that mean they're starting again? Or, or does that just mean they're getting a coach to still win now? No, we're bringing in a coach to potentially win now. Okay. So I'm just having a quick look at the ladder. Yeah, explain to me. So realistically, Port aren't a horrible team. We have a horrible game plan. Mm -hmm. We have some pieces that are developing and growing where potentially we can shoot up the ladder quickly. So like, for example, Collingwood didn't make the eight last year. You guys are on a big winning streak. We are. Um, Fremantle have come out of nowhere. And the thing is, like I said, Port don't have a bad list. Like, we've got some good, small rebounding defenders already. Check. Check. Happy with that. We have a Lira Lira as our tall intercept defender. Yeah, you're probably going to be looking for another key pillar back there soon, but yep. Correct. I agree. I was going to say we're missing a key defender. Our midfielders is aging. I do think Port are going to try to address this in the offseason. Either A, Josh Dunkley, or B, Jason Horn Francis. We won't get both but there's a chance that we'll get one of them. So a midfield would look like, say, a, a Dunkley, Wines, Rosie, Butters. That's like you're starting four? Correct. And you're also talking about midfielders there that have the opportunity to be forwards as well. So Josh Dunkley fits the mould of he can play forward. Connor Rosie can play forward. <clears throat> Zach Butters can play forward. Travis Boak will probably be more heavily forward next year. Or he might even push out to a wing if... um. Bergman or Dersma don't lock down that role. And then moving on to our forward line, I feel we're missing a really dangerous small forward. So they talk about Orazio Fantasia is going to be back. He's not great. He doesn't set the world on fire. Kane Farrell could potentially improve enough to be a good small forward next year. But I do feel Mitch Georgiades and Todd Marshall are going to develop into the players we thought they would. And they could potentially shape our forward line moving forward. Maybe not next year, but all the players that we've named are still only between 23 and 26. So there is opportunity for Port moving forward. Maybe not next year, but in the next couple of years, we're going to be good. But the biggest thing is we need a coach who can actually structure and implement a game plan that works for our players. I am very happy with that. So we're going with a rejig rather than a rebuild. So we get a new coach. He brings a new game plan that fixes up a few of the things that aren't working for Port and haven't worked for Port under Ken Hinckley. And then you're happy that you have enough cattle. You bring a few more in that window in and you can rebound pretty quickly. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Like I said, we're definitely <clears throat> still missing a lock, uh, lockdown key defender. That's our biggest problem. We play two lockdown defenders that aren't as big as key forwards in um, Tom Clurry and Tom Jonas. They fill a role, but it's not the big, tall forward who can stop a Tom Hawkins from kicking six goals against us. No, they do get monstered most weeks. At the moment, anyway, you find the big key forwards are getting on top of them. So if I was the recruitment manager, 
um, Port need to target a dangerous small forward. Hopefully, Isaac Rankin, if you're listening, come to Port Adelaide. We'd love to have you. An inside mid, so you get that in Dunkley. We need the inside mid in Dunkley or Jason Horn Francis, and then a lockdown defender. I'm who's, not sure who's out of contract this year, but Port needs to get a lockdown defender. Who's Dunkley going to replace in your midfield? Well, like I said, I think Travis Boak, he's been serviceable for a long time, absolute legend of the club. But the thing is, he's only going to keep slowing down. And he, a few years ago, before he blew up again, he did show that he could be a half-forward role. And he's got, still got a big tank. He's going to get around the ground. But I just don't think he's going to be a dominant midfielder. Yeah, I'm happy with that assessment. I think poor... I, I'm not sure if I tipped them for the flag this year, but I had them doing really well. So I think the core of their list is is really strong. I just think they need depth in a few areas. So And the coaching change is, is, well, as we've seen, the most important thing to rebounding a lot quicker than just uh, riding it out with the current coach. Um, my biggest concern with the midfielders that we have spoken about, both in Dunkley and Jason Horn francis they're both more contested inside midfielders and we already have Ollie Wines. So I can't think of a club off the top of my head that does play two predominant inside on the ground midfielders. And we are losing Carl Amon, so we will need someone to step up in the outside, getting into space, like getting those easier kicks and distributing it. Well, I think you got Farrell, you got Bergman, you got uh, who else is on that other wing? Dersmer, if he comes through. And I think Melbourne player and Oliver and Avani, which are two inside balls. Um, Brisbane player, a Lockie Neal and a... Oh, God, now I'm going to think off the top of my head. Who plays in the guts? Lions and McCluggage. Lions and Lions is, you know, he has that inside ability. I think there are teams that do play the inside balls and you need a couple as long as you've got the good ball users because I think kind of Rosie's that X factor, um, that Jordan Dugowie, that Christian Petrarca that does both. And he's shown, actually, that he's proving to be as good as we thought he was. That's actually a really good point. I did forget. Um, shout out to King Zach Butters. Probably, in my opinion, one of the best field kickers in the AFL. He finds a lot of space. He does part, he, He's willing to gamble on passes that have significant payoff. He could turn into a beautiful outside, classy player. And <laughs> then at least his body will hold up a bit more than him trying to be a human wrecking baller. But when I bumped into him, like, He's not a big guy, and the way he plays football, man, that blows my mind. He's a cannonball. Yeah, I think the best example is Angus Brayshaw turned from an outside midfielder into an mm. elite half-back player. So players can adjust and move around, and if you just happen to get a really good midfielder like a Dunkley, then you adapt, and players will adapt. So Port rejigging is probably where I think they're at. Pete, what do you reckon? I think there's no more to be said. I think Rick sums it up pretty nicely. Sweet. We're moving into the last three rounds, getting close to finals territory. I'm just gonna I've got a bit of a ladder analysis for you fellas of the top eight current teams. Alright, so we're gonna go through them, starting off with Geelong. They're paying three dollars to win the flag, currently first on the ladder. They've won ten in a row. Definitely looking like the team to beat at the moment. However, from those ten straight wins, only two of those have been top eight sides. So Melbourne and Carlton. The last game they lost was against St. Kilda by 10 points, and they're actually playing them this week. So that'll be a pretty interesting rematch. What do you guys think about Geelong and how they're traveling? They're going to smash St. Kilda this weekend, number one. Um, but Geelong are tracking really good. Um, 
if you go look at the Coleman medal race, they've got two of the top four. They are ultra five-hour side. They're going to kick a big score. They've got a good team all over. Tom Stewart's back, probably one of the best general defenders in the AFL. Patrick Dangerfield is getting better now that he's back. Once again, he we just spoke about X-Factor players. Patrick Dangerfield's all X-Factor. He can do everything except kick to teammates accurately. But Geelong are a good side. I do think there's a good chance that they'll be in the grand final this year. Beauty. All right. Uh, or Craig, got anything on that? I think Geelong are best prepared this year than they have been before. I think they are the team to beat. I don't see... The only thing I see beating them is injuries. Now, we say they have an old team, but that's why that'd be their biggest Achilles heel, losing the wrong players. A Jeremy Cameron, a Tom Stewart, a Blitzarbs, whoever else. But they would be my odds-on favourite right now. All right, moving on to second on the ladder, Melbourne. 325 odds for winning the flag. Lost two uh, games in the last five, one to Geelong and one to the Bulldogs. How do we think they're going to finish off the year? On paper, they should be the best team. They should have dominated this competition like they did at the start of the year. But something seems off. And I am prepared to make a really shit statement and say they cannot win it this year. I don't think they are the same Melbourne team this year. I think next year they're probably ready to go again because they'll be hungry because they missed out this year. But players like Petrarca, they just don't look like they care at the moment. They're just cruising. So right now, to me, they just don't look in it. Do you think any of that in relation to their form and stuff is anything to do with that internal drama they had with May and some of the players earlier in the year? Could that be affecting it? I'm in the opposite of Craig. He said they're just cruising. That's right. They're cruising until the season's over. When final comes, they're coming hard. Pete, you nailed it on the head. Stephen May missed three games. They lost three games in a row. You take away those three losses and they're top of the ladder. I just think they had a little bit of blip in the season and they're going to start ramping up at the right time. And we just spoke about how good Geelong's team is. Melbourne is better probably all over the ground except their forward line. But they've got the assets in the midfield. You win a game out of the midfield, Max Gorn, Oliver, Petrarca, they're going to dominate those old Geelong midfielders on the big day. All right, well, the way you're talking then, uh, seems like your odds favourite are Melbourne and Geelong for the GF. Yep, that's probably accurate, as long mm. as the way that the finals tee up and they don't knock each other out prior, I do think that they're probably the two best teams this year. No, I reckon Geelong gets them, and maybe someone else will along the way. Mm, that'll be interesting. All right, now I'm going to throw to uh, Rick the first uh, comment on this one because I know yours probably be a little bit biased Craig but Collingwood third on the ladder playing $13 to win the flag eight straight wins in a row um, six of those wins within seven points Craig argues points don't matter wins a win mm-hmm. um, but big game this weekend against the D's Rick how Collingwood traveling well they are traveling good Craig's right a win is a win they've still performed they may not look the strongest because they've won so many games in such a close margin but what's not saying they're not just good at closing out a game Uh, i'd be interested to see how many of these games they've come from behind to win rather than lose a lead because that explains a lot about a club and if they've chased down a lot that just shows you that they are going to be very competitive no matter who they're versing because they're not backing down if they're if it's more of they're getting a big lead and then they're fading If that happens against a Geelong, a Melbourne, a Brisbane, you're in danger. But if it's a chasing down factor, 
that's sensational for the club. Also, I think also that if it does come crunch time in finals, if Collingwood have played so many close games, some high-pressure games that are coming down to the wire, it's just going to prep them even more for the finals. Uh, this is a hard one to assess. Ten wins on the row is amazing, and that shows resilience. And they have, to answer your question, Rick, come from behind. A lot of their early victories were come from behinds, and a lot of their more recent ones have been in front and chased down and held on. Um, One of those games was North Melbourne as well, wasn't it? North Melbourne, St yeah. Kilda, Crows. They're all yeah, all in very that close. Mixed bag there, but they're all victories. Um, I like the team on paper. It's well balanced. My concern, which is probably a bigger concern from Geelong, is that if they lose the wrong players, I think they'll be a lot easier to break apart than a Geelong would or a Melbourne would. So they're around the mark. If they make top four, they can easily knock off a Geelong or Melbourne in the first week of the finals, I think, in the MCG. Um, the players are battle-hardened for that. So, yeah, they'd have to be a dark horse at the moment for sure. Third's probably a, maybe a bit above where they should be. But I had them close to the eight this year. That's not as not as biased as I thought it would be. That's a pretty good analysis, I thought. No, we don't, we're not biased <laughs> on the Footy Feast podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, sorry, you got something to say, Rick? The real test is how do you do against Melbourne this week? I feel like that yeah. will explain a lot of answers on the club. Yeah, I think this will this will be a big game for Collingwood this weekend. And just a big shout out, big rough battle, Brody Grundy versus Max Gorn this week, I reckon. I can tell you that I have some pretty strong mail that Grundy has re-injured himself was, and he won't be playing at all this week. I was just about to say, I heard that mail as well. He's hurt his back again and he will be out this week. All right, moving on to number four on the ladder. Sydney paying $7 to win the flag. They've won their last four games straight, knocking off Frio in one of those games by 17 points. And a fun fact, Sydney have only missed finals three times in the last 20 years, uh, which is a pretty good effort. So how do we think they're traveling? Are they a bit of a quiet achiever this year? Uh, I'll lead off. I like Sydney. I always have all year. Good balance of young and old. Um, they're a legitimate threat. I think they're probably... Geelong, Sydney are the one-two for me right now. Yeah, um, Sydney are super explosive, I feel. If you sleep on Sydney in a game, they can just blow out games real quick. They can be a super high-scoring team. And like Craig said, if a team can do that, there's a good chance that they can probably knock off anyone. All right, Brisbane next, fifth on the ladder, paying $12. Lost two games in their last five, one against Essendon, the other against Richmond, which just happened on the weekend to keep Richmond's final dreams alive. Um, are Brisbane starting to slip? I got two words for you, Ken Hinckley. This team is going to be a perennial underachiever under Chris Fagan. I think he gets them around the mark, but any team with a forward line of Danaher, Hipwood, McStay, Charlie Cameron, a midfield of Neil, Lyons, McCluggage, etc., and Harris Andrews at fullback should be doing a lot better than Bridesmaids. And I think that's just a no for me for Brisbane. Rick? I was really hot on Brisbane. Couldn't agree more with Craig. There's just something wrong at Brisbane. And if you can't win at the MCG, you can't win the grand final. They've won like three out of their last 30 games mm. or something there. That's just ridiculous. They might have to um, relocate to Melbourne, 
try play some games there, get good at that oval, because until they do that, they're never going to win a flag. All right, moving on to number six on the ladder, Frio. Now, for me, this is the biggest kind of downfall turn that they've taken. They haven't won a game in the last three, two losses, one to Sydney, one to Melbourne, who beat them by 46 points and drew to Richmond a couple of weeks ago. They definitely aren't looking as damaging as they were four to five weeks ago. Do we think that they are going to slip and what are they going to do for the rest of the year? Take Mantle. <coughs> I was very high on what they were doing at the start of the year, but they're clearly not the same team now. And I just don't think they have the forward line to get the job done. Whereas I like them all over the park elsewhere, but I think that is going to be their Achilles heel and they're not going to get it done. They probably, oh, they definitely did early in the season. They played better with Fife not in the team. I don't think Fife's the problem. I think Taberner's not firing. Lobs slowed down. And their small forwards are not kicking any goals either. Like, they were holding the balls inside the Ford 50 every week and, and they couldn't catch anyone now. They couldn't catch COVID in a room full of people with COVID. So, um, no, Fremantle's a no from me. You got anything else apart from fake mantle? Um, I just feel like they've peaked a little bit too early. You see the good teams, they start peaking towards the end of the year. Fremantle was super good early and all the young players just can't hack it for a whole year. And yeah, next year, maybe not come out so hot off the gate. It sounds stupid, but it is true. They've just come out too hot. Their players are probably a little bit too burnt out. And yeah, I just don't feel they'll be strong enough at the back end of this season. No, but going forward, I do really like what they have there. Um, this year, I think we all thought if they make the eight, that's a good year. I think they've gone a little bit too early. But going forward, I would love to have Fremantle's list. Yeah, I agree. Like, think about it. This is probably the first time since I remember where people are talking as Fremantle as the better Western Australian team. Mm. West Coast have been dominating that space for years, and now Rio are the exciting ones. So it's a good change for WA. Mm. And have they fallen hard, West Coast? Have they fallen hard? Oh, God. All right, we are pushing time this week, so let's get the last two done quickly. Carlton, seventh, $26 to win the flag. Lost three in their last five. St. Kilda, Geelong, and most recently went down to the Crows by 29 points. And just another fact, Carlton have never won a game at Adelaide Oval. Wait, what? Never, ever. No, because it used to be Amy. Yeah, so since it's moved to Adelaide Oval, Carlton have not won a game. It's like almost eight years or something they've never won a game at Adelaide 20, Oval. Yeah, 2014 they moved to Adelaide Oval. What? And they have not won a game at the Oval. Paul and Crows have been shit in that time for sure. That is a damning stat. And the, uh, well, obviously, like we said earlier, we were at the game, but they brought up the head-to-head score and it was like 21 apiece or something like that between Carlton and the Crows. So obviously Crows are in front now, but yeah, they have not won a game at the Oval, whether it be Paul or Crows. I like Carlton on paper, but for some reason they just don't get it done. I think they got players all over the park that are capable of winning games. Um, but if Patrick Cripps in the finals doesn't tear the midfield apart, I think they will struggle. Um, yeah, that's how they won the start of the year. And I think it's no coincidence that now they are struggling and he is not having as much influence on the game. Yeah, I'll keep it simple. They're a good team, not a great team. Don't think they're going to win it, but good on them. They've had a big improvement this year. They'll probably get better again next year. And yeah, just relaunch and try again, but I don't think this year's their year. Mm. All right, last one. 
eighth on the ladder, probably very lucky to be there. Uh, St. Kilda paying $81 to win the flag. Lost two in their last five, which were the Dockers and the Bulldogs, and the only significant win in their, a win in their last five was to Carlton by 15 points. Don't waste your breath. Let's talk about Western Bulldogs. Let's be honest. They're going to be the team that comes into the eight, I reckon. I only have a one-word answer for St. Kilda, and it is crap. I <laughs> fucking hate St. Kilda. They lost a lot of grand finals to Collingwood because they were crap. They have a crap stadium. They uh, just have a crap song too, and they're it just, just really the song just repeats itself, doesn't it? It is boring a to song. look at. They're just nothing about St Kilda excites me, especially their list. No, agree. All right, we're going to roll on to the weekly quiz. Now we're going to try something different this week. Hopefully, the new software permits it to happen. But we're going to have a sound quiz now. I have got. I know Rick doesn't like this idea but we're going to do it anyway i got five team songs and i'm going to play them and you've got to chime in and tell me which club song this belongs to i know you don't like it rick but we're going to do it right all right here we go the first song which club is this rick rick carlton incorrect craig or do you want me to keep playing uh join in the chorus Geelong. Incorrect. All right, you oh, North Melbourne. No, I want to hear this song. Yeah, di- uh, and Craig, you just had a second guess out of turn. So Rick, I'm gonna, I'll play you three more seconds, and you can have a guess. All right. It's a grand North Melbourne. No, that's what Craig just said, and you wasted that guess. That's fucking horrible. The of, it's not. You it's Melbourne. Suck. It's Melbourne. <laughs> It's Melbourne. Melbourne, it is it's Melbourne. Melbourne. Fuck, why do I always not get that? I love Norwood. This is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. I thought you were trying to punish him for guessing early, so I, that's why I thought I'd say North Melbourne. I had no idea. <laughs> you did say you don't have much idea on that. No, I was singing the lyrics and I All couldn't right. figure it out. <laughs> All right, once Craig, uh, number two, which club song is this? Craig. It is the Dockers. It is the Dockers. All right, you ready for this one, Rick? Which sure. Which club song is this? Rick. <laughs> Rick. Crap! It is, of course, Port Adelaide. All right, number four. Craig. Brisbane. Incorrect. Would you like to hear some more of the song? I would love to. I'll give you five seconds. That was five seconds. Craig again. Craig no, it's, again. It's, it's Rick's. Rick's gets a free guess. You got three seconds, Rick. Two. One. Incorrect. It's the Gold Coast song. The Gold Coast. All right. Last one. Rick, you've got one, so at least you haven't got a panting. But last song. Craig. It's Sydney's song. It is the Sydney's. Swans. Anything goes. Lowest score wins this week. That's another victory to Rick. That's three in a row. No, that's right. I've also got some questions, so I'll quickly fly through them very quickly. All right, they're, they're easy questions. Well, I'll say easy, but not really. Question one, which player made history this year by kicking his thousandth goal? Craig. That was Craig yeah, first. that was Craig. Buddy Franklin. Buddy Franklin. Next, in which year did GWS join the AFL? Craig. 2013. That was incorrect. Premature on the ding. 2011. Incorrect. Two, you, you're very yeah, close. 2012. Correct. 
All right, question three. In the last four seasons, which player has received the longest suspension? Rick. Rick. Andrew Gaff. Incorrect, but a reasonable guess. You also like talking about this player. I'll give you a hint. He plays for GWS. Toby Green. Oh, is that the fly kick? I'll give it to Oh, Rick. no, the umpire suspension. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give that one to Rick. When did Gaff punch Brayshaw? It wasn't as long as the umpire suspension, clearly. I yeah. thought it was eight weeks. No, that was um the big Sydney guy that KO'd Gaff. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Hall. <Hulk> Barry <laughs> All right, question four. This is a true or false question. True or false. When footy Rick. first. True. It is correct. I'll finish I'll finish the question though. I mean you had a fifty fifty chance. But uh it was true or false when footy first started eighteen fifty eight, there was no time limits existed for matches. That's true, end. did you say? Sorry? You said that was true. That was true. The first team to score two goals was declared the winner when it first started. Wow. Yeah. Fun fact for you. All right, question five. In what year well, I just said this before, so if you guys will eighteen fifty eight I called my name first, so I get to go. I Thank called you. the answer. No, it's not. I said a little bit earlier than that, but in what year did they move from Amy Stadium to Adelaide Oval? Craig, 2014. Correct. Glad you mentioned that because I had no idea. I don't even remember. We talked about it. <laughs> yeah, well, we're talking about Carlton being shit at Adelaide Oval. Yeah, true. All right. All right, decider question. We all know that the decider question wins a quiz, so Rick, even though you went one and five for the song question, you can still win. Which VFL slash AFL club has the most wooden Rick. spoons? North Melbourne. Incorrect. Craig, that would have to be St. Kilda. It is. And Rick, I'll give you a chance to steal the quiz if you can tell me on the nose how many wooden spoons this club has had. 19. No, 27. Oh, I was going to say 25. 27. And the next closest is North Melbourne on 14, soon to be 15. Fun fact, who has lost the most grand finals before? Collingwood by a long way. <laughs> Just a throwback. So, Craig, you were right. St Kilda, stinky. They are so shit. Why would anyone go for them? That's- yeah. All right, well, there you go. Even the, yeah, Craig wins the quiz this week. All right, uh, my favourite segment of the podcast, the Jack Graham Watch. <laughs> The Jack Graham watch. So just quickly, uh, I've got a couple of stats here for you. So his average now is 76 for the season. 45 points in the round, just gone. 11 (laughs) 11 disposals, three tackles. I think it's to the point where we might even... I'll look at the logistics on how to do this because we're obviously a new podcast, but I think it's to the point where we're going to call Jake, get him on the podcast and see whether or not he still is happy with his shout-out for the fantasy rebuild with Jack Graham. Well, I just got a few things that I'd like to point out. At quarter time on the weekend, Jack Graham was on exactly five points. That's the equivalent of one kick and one handball, or I, one mark and one handball. Just to stop you there, though, quickly, I reckon this is deja vu. I reckon last week you said he was on, what, seven points or something at quarter time. Is this what he does week in and week out? Yes, and the real issue is, if you were in finals right now, which our league is, why the fuck you would play Jack Graham on your field? There is a hundred other forwards that are less shit than Jack Graham, and midfielders, there's a thousand of them. He should not be in your team, and Jake played him in his team. That's why he lost, because he is shit. (laughs) Rick, you got anything to say about Jack Graham? Does he play for St. Kilda? Yeah, well, he he should, because he sucked. You Um, suck! (laughs) 
<laughs> Perfect. That is a... Wait, can I hear that again, please? Sorry. You suck. Perfect way to sum up Jack Graham. He sucks. All right. At fantasy, that is. Last week, we gave props to Shannon Neal because Craig and I went to the Geelong Port game. Was that Geelong Port? Or yeah. Geelong? Yeah. And we gave props to Shannon Neal for his performance at that Oval. Now, this week, I want to give props to another player who we watched play on Saturday night against Carlton. Oh, and- bigger props for this guy. <laughs> yeah, way bigger props. But shout out to Josh Worrell. So he played his first game this year for the Crows. Um, second he's- career? Yeah, second for the career. He was drafted in 2019, um, but he's been pretty unlucky with injuries since he was drafted, and yeah, he's only played the one other game in 2021. Um, he is 21 years old. He has back status. So he scored 62 points on the weekend in fantasy, 70 points in our league with with spoils added. He had 17 disposals, which were 12 kicks, five handballs, three marks, and one tackle. Played 80% game time, uh, which is about his... Uh, his disposals and that is about what he's averaging in the sandfall. Um, so he's come straight into the side against Carlton and continued that into the AFL standard. Um, he played on Mackay on the weekend and kept him just to one goal one. His average is six scoring shots a game, Mackay, for the year. So he kept him to pretty minimal. Again, this is not a player we're saying that you should pick up right now. Um, he's only played the one game this season, but he's definitely to keep an eye on for the rest of the season if he hopefully... Well, he's secured his spot for next week at least anyway, in my opinion. I think he looks like a great prospect and I'll definitely be keeping an eye on him for the next three rounds. And he is definitely on my radar for the rookie player in our league next year. That's a good take. I liked what he did. One-on-one, he didn't lose. Intercept, he was pretty strong on the weekend. If I was a Crows fan, I'd buy a badge to add to my badge collection. Pete, hint, hint. Well, I wonder if they even have badges for him yet. Oh, they would because they have badges for Zach Taylor, who's my rookie of the year, and he hasn't even played a game this year, so I'll have to get a badge next Crows game. I think you're a Worrell's fan, so get around him. Yep, so props to Josh Worrell this week. Uh, Have we got any other fantasy talk this week, boys, or are we going to move on? We're probably pushing time. Oh, there's only one fantasy thing that I want to talk about. His name is Andrew Brayshaw, and once again in the debate of do you want a 140 player and an 80 player the next week, yes, you do, because he makes a fucking sick captain when he gets 140 in the first, second week of finals? Second week of finals. Or second um, week of our finals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want Andrew Brayshaw. Props to him for proving me right. That's uh, the only fantasy thing I need to add. Rick, what's on your fantasy agenda? Because you're the guru. I'm out of finals, not paying as much attention, but... um. <laughs> If you are interested in fantasy, send in some hypothetical trades. Let us know who you want us to talk about, and we'll talk about them on the podcast. That reminds me. Did oh, we have was, a fake trade? What was the fake trade this week? Was there one? I don't I, think there was. I don't recall seeing one. I thought they did something else this week, Seven. All right. How about um, we move on to Rick's reach out, and in the meantime, we'll see if we can find that fake trade. We've also got the would you rather. All right. Oh, well, yeah. let's, Rick's uh, would you rather. Let's do would you rather first, then, and we'll do Rick's reach out last as always. <laughs> So first of all, I'm glad that we actually spent a lot of time talking about coaches because this entire (laughs) Would You Rather is all about coaches. We didn't plan it, just happened to turn out this way. So would you rather become the head coach of North Melbourne or West Coast and why? I would rather be the coach of West Coast as much as I'd hate to say it because I feel bad for North Melbourne, but 
West Coast is such, such a big and powerful club, and I feel like you don't really need to coax people from Western Australia to get on board, but Kangaroos is forever going to be a hard slog. And I feel for them, but West Coast, I think, will just rebound. They always have that go-home factor as well. So West Coast for me. Yeah, West Coast for me, apart from moving over to WA, which is probably the only biggest downside I see. But, um, yeah, that still takes the cake for over North Melbourne for me. Yeah, I went North Melbourne because I just think their list's probably a little bit better. But either way, wouldn't have really mattered as much. All right, the next one. So effective immediately, would you rather be the assistant coach at Melbourne or the head coach of the Western Bulldogs for the rest of this year and onward? Uh, probably just because I'm the head coach, I would take the Bulldogs. No, I would take Melbourne. I mean, you can do the old Chris Scott and come in and just win a flag in your first year, so I'll take them over. Um, I don't think they have to do much other than motivate them and, and they'll be good, but I just don't know where they find that motivation from. But, yeah, if I could do that, I would be happy. No, I'm with Pete. I'd go for the head coaching job. All right, so now I want you to rank these coaches. So you have Ooh. Ross, Lyon, Alistair Clarkson, Ken Hinckley, Mark McVeigh, and Nathan Buckley. Wait, say a, that list that's, again. That's a, lot, that's a lot to take in at once. Ross Lyon. Yep. Alistair Clarkson. Yep. Ken mm-hmm. Hinckley. Yep. Mark McVeigh from GWS, and Nathan Buckley. Who would I take first? Yep. Alistair Clarkson, Ross Lyon, Nathan Buckley, Ken Hinckley, Mark McVeigh. No, thank you. There's enough new coaches flying around. I don't need him. Yeah, probably I'd switch Buckley up one because I really like Buckley. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. All right. So even in the spite of the last few podcasts, I still have the fantasy coach option from another sport. So would you take Alistair Clarkson? Big time, obvious AFL coach, or would you take Bill Bilicek from the New England Patriots, who's coached them to multiple NFL titles in arguably a harder sport involving more tactics than football? Do I have Tom Brady also if I'm <laughs> Bill Belichick? Because I don't think he'll be good at football. It's not a package deal. It's it needs to be a package deal for me to accept this because I don't know what Bill Belichick is like without Tom Brady. All right, you can have Tom Brady as assistant coach. I uh, take Bill yeah, Belichick then, if, thank you. Yeah, exactly, 100% agree. Tom Brady just has to be associated. That's interesting because I think this is the first time you boy... Oh, no, you just went for Ronaldo last week. Scrap that. Yeah, we did, but yeah. Bill Belichick's record is just... I mean, he has to, he's one out of 32 over there versus one out of 18. Yeah, like, and how, how many Super Bowls has he coached them to? Yeah, with Tom Brady, but yes. Yeah, with uh, yeah, <laughs> very very big emphasis on with the Tom Brady there. I get it, but I mean, it also comes down to the coach a little bit there as well. Well, Tom Brady's not winning Super Bowls on the team he swapped to. He did win one in his first year. Yeah, one. Well, he did, one out of two is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any more would you rather, Rick? No, that's it for this week, boys. All right, Craig, do you need more time? Or have you found the fake trade? Nah, there is no fake trade this week. All right, um, well, there you go. That's why we didn't add it in this week. We must have looked at it early and we've seen there's none. All right, in that case, straight on to Rick's Reach Out. Rick's Reach Out. Rick's Reach Out! Rick's Reach Out! <laughs> All right, boys. I did it live on the podcast last week. I started it. I did it throughout the week. But that fake Rowie on the SEN challenged a poor power supporter to reach out, get in contact. 
I messaged him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything. Tagged SEN and all of it. He didn't want a bar of it. So obviously no reach out. And he issued a challenge and he forfeited. So congratulations, I'm up 1-0. Do you think the reason he didn't reach out is because he's on 5AA and not SEN? Or did he not reach out because you dominated him in the argument? <laughs> no, it's definitely you. You would have ups. I mean, I he really five double A. I got it wrong. Irrelevant. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I was just joking. I do wish that you did call in and got on air because I would have absolutely loved that conversation between you and Rowie. Yeah, I agree. Would have been good. I would have stayed civil, had a good debate with him. But like, he issued a challenge. He didn't want to back it up in comments. Like, I tried to follow it up, but. He yeah. didn't want a bar of it. And um, I think he's wrong, plain and simple. I don't think he would have been civil at all. No, I don't think so. Bring out some Toby Green, you, you reckon? You would have started civil, but I don't know. You, you called him a fringe reporter, so obviously you haven't listened to him much, but he gets fired up. So I would love to see you two battle it out on air because it would get very feisty. I recant my statement. If he gets fiery, I would fire up. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you call yourself as a player? A mixture between Jack Ginnivan and a Toby, Toby Green. Green. So <laughs> maybe throwing a little bit of James Sicily, get around it. I think that says it all. Uh, anything else this week, fellas? I'm just reading an article right now as I'm scrolling through the internet that. Fremantle have shown interest in Elliot Himmelberg from the Crows to fix their forward problems. He's crap. Making problems at Fremantle if you recruit him. Yeah, I don't see how that is going to fix their forward problems. Elliot Himmelberg has played 37 AFL games for 38 goals in five years of Adelaide. Do they think that Harry Himmelberg plays for the Crows? <laughs> 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 that must be. That's, that's ludicrous. The Dockers I... are closer to a flag without Himmelberg than with him, sure. That just makes no sense to me at all. I mean, I'd happily send him there. Yeah. If they're What's gonna, he worth, Peter? What would you want for him? I, To be honest, I'd take anything for him at this stage. It doesn't really add anything to the Crows. So The big thing here that we've got to take away from this is it also means Rory Lobb is probably out the door and they're just trying to emergency plan in his absence now. Yeah, but what kind of emergency plan is that with Himmelberg from the Crows? I never said it was a good one. <laughs> Very true. Maybe, On that note, let's wrap it up. Yeah, maybe the would you rather should have been uh, the assistant coach at Fremantle for some extra advice there. Oh, but The Ford coach would be a shit job if you're getting Elliot Himmelberg across. Fuck that. <laughs> I hear Ken Hinckley wants that. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. I know this episode went for a little bit longer, but um, give us That's because it's fucking awesome. There's yeah. good content. Remember to like and follow Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and Apple Podcasts. Yeah, we've well. just we've just added to Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and hopefully Google Podcasts very shortly. So you should not have any excuse not to listen to us. Tell your mum, sister, brother, dog, your next door neighbour, anyone you come in contact with. Footy feast podcast <laughs> all the way. Let's go.